Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from our now sunny at the moment, beautiful state of Wisconsin. Summer has finally decided to show up today. Unfortunately, Rebecca Lynch decided she'd leave Wisconsin and go to San Francisco, where I'm assuming it's uh, maybe a little cloudy. How you doing, Rebecca Lynch? It actually is a little cloudy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm doing great. Oh Good to well, be that, here, Matt. that's great. We appreciate you getting up early on the on the left coast to to join us. Rebecca is with the Wisconsin Working Families Party, and as always, our executive director Robert Craig is with us. Robert, how you doing? Uh, wonderful. It, it, it's spring finally. Good day, <laughs> yes. everyone. Oh, it's been a long one, but um, we got a great show for you. Uh, we are kicking off this week our effort to help sift through the presidential candidates in the Democratic primary, and we'll be talking about Elizabeth Warren. And each week, we're going to invite a guest listener to come in and who supports that candidate and tell us a little bit about why. And we got Senator Chris Larson, who's going to come in today and chat a little bit about why he supports Elizabeth Warren. So we're really happy uh, that he chose to volunteer to come in. We're going to talk a little bit about the state budget, a little less this week, uh, but joint finance continues to entertain the budget. Education is coming up today, Thursday. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And we're also going to be joined by David Crowley. State Representative David Crowley, he and Senator Hansen introduced a bill this week around automatic voter registration, which it just seems to make so much sense. But <laughs> we'll talk to David and see see what the prospects of that look like. But obviously, very important issue. We're thrilled he'll be joining us. So let's get started. We're going to talk. We'll start here in Wisconsin before we uh, start diving into Elizabeth Warren uh, this week. Uh, Joint finance floated something that Robert had been talking about, or actually, I should say, um, uh, Voss floated the idea that they are looking at separating the budget, which normally, as Robert and we've talked about on the show, they traditionally present a budget, an entire budget, uh, joint finance does, and then that entire budget goes through the Senate and the Assembly, and then it goes to the governor. Well, Robert had previewed that that maybe there may be something different and that there could be a series of bills. Well, this week it was leaked that they're considering splitting the budget into two bills. And one of them would essentially be the spending and the other would be policy items, which supposedly are not supposed to be in the budget. And the thing here is, right, if you could split this up, it allows Evers to only use his partial veto to rewrite the fiscal aspects but he would either have to sign or veto the entire policy sections. Um, Robert, let's go to you first on this since you had talked about it, and then we'll get to you, Rebecca, uh, to chat about this, uh, shall we say, clever idea, or let's just be much more blunt about it, uh, runaround on the budget. Yeah, it's about as clever as not answering any congressional subpoenas, <laughs> as our president is doing. So they've been searching and casting about for a way to avoid dealing with the actual ramifications of turning down uh, the federal Medicaid money to expand Badger Care and uh, not capping the, the comp- gross corporate giveaway, the manufacturing agricultural tax credit. And so they don't have money because of that, even with the temporary surplus they want to spend right away. Temporary because, my goodness, Trump is causing another stock market a uh, couple hundred point loss as we record this uh, with his uh, trade war with China. 
So the idea that our tax revenue is going to be healthy throughout the next two years is a little bit naive. Uh, but anyway, their first thing was they were going to cut the budget up and do it in small chunks. Now they've come up with this two budgets, one with only policy that's an up or down vote and one that is fiscal. Again, it's an attempt to bait and switch and not see how much how much damage is done to a budget by their very irresponsible fiscal decisions. Uh, and of course, to take uh, Medicaid expansion off the table, because of course, we're not talking about that right now. They're trying to act as if that's off the table and it's gone away, when in fact, it's the elephant in the room. There are also rumors, I don't think in the media yet, that they plan to deliver these two budgets and then take the summer off and return and try to say that it's all in Evers's court and then return in September to blame him if he's not signed their bills. Yeah. Rebecca. It's so funny, you know, Robin Voss, who says that he wants to negotiate with with Governor Evers has also said that Medicaid expansion will happen over his dead body. And actually, that is something that I saw um, someone from Kids Forward Wisconsin tweeted not that long ago, but it's something we've talked about on the show. And so I think this is like more of the same in that regard. Um, But I actually I have more questions than opinions on this. Um, And I was wondering if you guys could kind of answer some of these questions. So how does this work? Like what happens now? because this is unusual, like I, I've never experienced a legislature trying to like cut the budget up in this way. So like, what, what are your predictions about like how this is going to play out? Well, the interesting thing about Wisconsin law, Rebecca, is, is that they don't have to pass a budget and nothing runs out. It's not like the government shutdown votes that President Trump and the Republicans at national level like so much. But what happens is, is that it's the previous budget, which of course is an austerity budget, because it's a budget that was done two years ago. So I think the Republicans think they have leverage because they can try to confuse the public but actually have an austerity budget that, uh, that, that cuts everything across, hugely across the board. So we'd be stuck with Scott Walker's budget for another two years uh, starting July 1 if there's, no, if, if there's nothing else. Otherwise, this is not constitutionally stipulated, so they can, they can try to cut it up any way they want. And, of course, as we're seeing in the lame duck uh, uh, stuff. The Republican Supreme Court, uh, which which role is to find legal rationalizations to support Republican positions, not to interpret law, will probably validate anything they do. We're seeing that. Uh, I think we're going to see that with the lame duck uh, decisions, which were far more constitutionally questionable. It's a it's a good question, Rebecca. I think um, what you're likely to see here is since they'll have some modest improvements. So, for example, on education today, they're going to joint finance is going to take this up. And as we know, Governor Evers was asking for one point four billion in uh, increase. Uh, It's going to be cut by about nine hundred million. So a significant cut. But it's a five hundred million increase. And they're working off the base budget. So their goal is to make it look like an increase. In addition, there's a lot of bad reportage because there's inflation. So, in other words, you need to increase it to stay the same, and, and that's never discussed by reporters. So it isn't even $500 million. You have to take out uh, the, the, the natural inflation just to keep the cost to continue, as we call it, in budgeting. It's worth pointing out that increase is smaller than the $600 million, uh, that that Walker actually did. So we're not talking about a significant increase, and this is a system that has been starved After of money. After historic cuts yes, for years by cuts. Walker and the Republicans. So... So really, I think it's a plan to be able to say, like, unless 
blame Evers for saying, well, look, we're trying to get $500 million to education. We're trying to get some money to roads. So whatever the modest increases are, they'll try to blame Evers for that. And somehow he's standing in the way of that. I have a question for Rebecca, though, since she had a question for us. What do you make of this discussion of sexism and uh, Mr. Voss and Fitzgerald refusing to negotiate with Maggie Gao, the governor's chief of staff? It's hard for me to know what's happening not being at all involved, not even being in the city of Madison, let alone being tangentially involved. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I think that um, they're probably used to working with men on the Democratic and Republican side of the aisle. And I imagine I wouldn't be surprised if they are not if they are choosing just to ignore the problem they have, which is that they have a Democratic governor and a strong with a strong Democratic chief of staff. Um, who happens to be a woman. And so, like, I imagine there's probably some sexism. And I also imagine that they are just like, they just don't know what to do. They're used to getting their way 100% of the time. And if they're responding like children having a tantrum um, and trying to ignore the reality of someone telling them, no, you have to be adults and we have to talk about this, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if that is their response. But I, I, I really am not sure. I imagine that, like, if this is whether or not this is sexist, I imagine that Maggie Gao, the governor's chief of staff and former campaign manager, encounters sexism in her job every single day. And it's probably really exhausting on top of her other job of helping to run the state. Yeah, I think you're right. And there's another element here. By the way, Voss's view of negotiation is like on hashtag never on Badger expansion. That negotiation ends when he says never on something and you move on. It's off the table. That's his version. But there's also something that happened and it happens with all governors. It happened a lot in the Doyle administration. Governors are reluctant to be seen as co-equals with legislative leaders because the governor is more singularly more powerful than they are. Presidents are the same way. So the Governor Evers probably doesn't want to make it look like he's one of three equal leaders with Voss and Fitzgerald, and they probably resent that and have the opposite motivation. But I remember having big negotiations with the Doyle people about the governor always being higher on a stage than legislators, so it would be clear that he was uh, of higher order and authority. We're going to continue to follow the state budget as we go through the weeks uh, here, but we're going to have to take a break. Um, When we get back... We're going to talk a little bit more about some state policy. Uh, That is with Representative David Crowley. Uh, He and Senator Hansen this week introduced a bill for automatic voter registration, which we think is really, really important, and we want to talk with him about that. We'll do that right after the break. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are going to stay on state issues. Uh, Not everything that's happening is state budget related. There are actually bills that are being introduced. And this week, our next guest, State Representative David Crowley, introduced a bill that we think is really, really important, and that is to get automatic voter registration. Representative Crowley, thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, your piece of legislation that you introduced with uh, Senator Dave Hansen. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure uh, to be in the presence of Citizen Action. So thank you for having me on. I think this is my first time actually on the podcast. It is. So, it is. Wow. I was really happy. Right when I saw that you introduced this, I, my first thing is like, I'm, I got to get David oh, on man. the show. Great I, you know what? It's so funny because when you Facebook messaged me, I think that was the <laughs> quickest response that I have ever, ever given. Wow. Uh, 
Wow. Great. <laughs> so great. It was uh, quick. Uh, and, and we try to do that with all our constituents for all the listeners. So, but um, <laughs> uh, as of uh, as you know, uh, many of the folks know uh, when Governor Evers uh, proposed his budget, he proposed having automatic voter registration uh, inside of the budget bill. And uh, earlier this month, Republicans pulled it out. It was a it was a, a bill that I was working with along with Senator Hansen, along with some other representatives. Shout out to uh, now Mayor Eric Gingrich as well, who's been pushing this idea. And so, once they pulled it, we figured that you know what we need to go out there and we need to 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 really make an appeal to the people on why this is actually needed. And so we went and created as a bill to make sure that those who are applying for their photo ID, their driver's license. Uh, whether you're talking about registering your vehicle, you could be automatically uh, registered to vote. And basically, this legislation will create an agreement between the Department of Transportation and the Election Commission so the DOT can send information over uh, to collect that information and automatically register folks. Now, I know that some of the Republicans are saying that this is a, a, a solution in search of a problem, so on and so forth. <laughs> uh, but in reality, this is just making things much easier uh, accessible, more equitable, and making sure that folks can get out to vote. Yeah, and people don't really think about, because we get used to things that are the way they are, like we used to mass incarceration, like that's the way it's always been, right, right when it's not. Uh, but in this case, voter registration is something that used to be there to make sure only white property owners could vote, mm -hmm. then only white men, right, right. and so on Absolutely. and so forth. And then Jim Crow. It was one of the major ways, all the barriers. And there's no way, reason, modern technology, we need all of this separate thing at all. Right, In absolutely. fact, it's only designed to make it harder for people to vote. We know where people are. We know who they are. We have incredible big data now. So this is just a, a way to make sure that fewer people vote. And we have a party that actually ha is trying to get fewer people to vote. That's what photo ID is about. Right. It's not about any actual problem. They made it up, as has been proven, but it doesn't matter, Right. So what's interesting is is the progression of the Democrats because we know where the Republicans are, mm -hmm. right? I don't know if you know this because you're you're yeah, I'm a little young. You're, you're such a you're, you're such a young up and coming person. But in the late aughts, at the end of the last time we had full Democratic control, uh, we made a run at automatic voter registration, and we actually and I was in the, in the middle of this with a lot of other great folks. We actually got the governor on board. That was the role I was playing. We got uh, the the assembly on board. And with full Democratic control, we couldn't do it at the end because the mm. Senate wouldn't do it because the Senate majority of Russ Decker wouldn't. And we could have had automatic voter registration back in 2010 wow. and failed to do it, which is just unbelievable. So do you feel like there's been progression just like we didn't do redistricting then either because the Democrats wanted to gerrymander? Oh, and absolutely. that's changed. So absolutely. is this change with automatic registration, oh, at least within our party? Absolutely. I mean, and not just in Wisconsin, right? I mean, we've seen 15 other states that have done this and, they, and, and you know— who also have same-day registration as well. And so the fact that we've seen so many different types of these voter ID bills, all these different types of initiatives to hamper people's ability to vote, now that we have a Democratic governor who is interested in this idea, we know that this is the right thing to do. So we've seen the progression on the Democratic side. But I also think that there's a little progression also mm. happening on the Republican side. Right now, I think at the end of the day, we need to figure out how we actually separate Republican leadership from everybody else and getting everybody literally to, to say how they feel on each bill and making sure that they're on the record for this. Um, I think that the Republican leadership in the state of Wisconsin is literally 
far so far gone right now to the point to where I think many of their members are like they are in a corner going to have to fight like heck um, in order to actually fight for their community. Whether you're talking about automatic voter registration, whether we're talking about expanding of Medicaid, uh, Medicare, um, we know that there are Republicans. There's Republican support, and so it's an exciting time. I think at this point is really, you know, it's, a, it's about Robin Voss and, and Fitzgerald. It, it's their show, and so we have to we have to separate them from the rest of the pack. You 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 just said it, Robin Voss. Uh, let's call him out, right? This guy, he says it's not needed. Uh, that it's already easy to register to vote. That, that, that's like an insane argument, mm-hmm. right? Like he admits that it's important in that he is, that it should be easy. This is easier, much easier. It, it's more. It's more simple. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's completely. It's it's often it done by municipalities. It's really kind of haphazard. It's uneven sometimes mm-hmm. in the way it's done. This is such a simple solution. Um, explain to me. I thought Voss supported this in the past. What? 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 Until he didn't. What, Until, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> Dem's got a hold of it, right? <laughs> oh, is that what went on? Uh, David Crowley got a hold of the bill, and suddenly Robin Voss changed his opinion. This is uh, this is classic Voss. I mean, this really isn't about principle. It's, it's, it's really about you know them having total control. Uh-huh. At the end of the day, it's about the Republicans having total control of everything happening in state government, and we've seen that ever since the election when they came out with the lame duck and they they stripped the powers of the governor and the attorney general. We even see it with the fact that you have, um, accepting these Medicare dollars, over 70% of Wisconsinites are saying we should be doing this, and you still have Voss Voss out there (laughs) saying, no, we're not going to do it, even though the majority of the folks want uh, want this. And it's dangerous, right, because their view is if we get one more vote, then we're disenfranchising the other Mm 49.99%, right? They They have no notion of trying to build a consensus. And so... I'm wondering what you do about the attacks, right? Because it's going to be like photo ID, right? They made up this thing about there being voter fraud. There's virtually no identity uh, misrepresentation, voter fraud at all. Didn't matter. They convinced voters, others, that it was voter fraud. So they'll probably say that this is going to allow undocumented people to vote, though they won't. They'll call them an offensive name, right? right. And they'll say that it's going to cause criminals to vote. You know, more offensive names, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Though, of course disenfranchising people on parole or people in jail is an after-effect of slavery and Jim Crow. But be that as it may, they'll convince people that this is some sort of attempt to get illegal votes because the president ran around claiming there are all these illegal votes out there that that cost him, that, and that's why he lost the popular vote, and it was a lie. You couldn't prove a thing. His commission couldn't. Absolutely. So what do we do to answer? The problem we have is the right will lie, right. and then people will believe them. Well, at the end of the day, we have to... We have to, we have to uh outweigh those lies with facts, right? And so, you know, when you look at automatic voter registration, you have both Democratic states and Republican states and purple states who, and in some cases, have actually passed this unanimously because they, th- they know that this is the right thing to do. This will actually help cut down on any type of quote-unquote fraud that is out That's there right. because the level of accountability that is there with the government agencies, with both the Election Commission and the Department of Transportation. But also, this can help us save a lot more money when it comes down to our elections, right? And so the fact that we still have same-day registra- same registration will actually help cut down on provisionary ballots. We still have access to DOT information. So when they talk about the... Uh, the undocumented immigrants having access and being able to vote, 
It's simply just a lie, and we need to call it what it is, and it's a lie, and we need to make sure that folks understand that this is to, make, this is to help them vote easier. So here in the city of Milwaukee, absolutely, I know many people of color, many elderly folks, many students that will be able to take advantage of this. But we also have people in rural areas that stay more than an hour away from the closest DMV to them. And so this is their ability to be able to automatically register without having to drive uh, you know, 100 miles away just to get an ID or to register to vote. And let me ask our listeners, we know that Fox News probably won't care about this bill yet. Right. right. But right wing radio here is the Fox News of Wisconsin. We would love our listeners to let us know if they hear them lying about this bill, because as go. it gets serious, they're going to start. And then we'll talk about it here. But I'll, those who who turn on the radio when they're driving and hear only these shows, because that's all that's on in a lot of areas, it's on the big stations, uh, then then let us know what they're lying about so that we know right away. Absolutely. I want to add one reason why I also think uh, Boss Voss has changed his position is we talked about it last week. 2020, we could have historic turnout yes. here in Wisconsin. And a bill like this is going to make it easier, right, for folks who want to get out and vote uh, to get out and vote. And, and the statistics are very clear with legislation like this. If you pass something like this and someone's able to be registered through Motor Voter, they are much more likely to go out and vote, Absolutely. which is what we it, want. They will come, That's right. right. It's what we want. And I think they're clearly afraid. They know the momentum and the energy is going to be and just really against quickly, Trump. Georgia seen a 93% increase That's in voter fabulous. registration. That's great. 93%. And you'd increase. think that would be a good thing in our country, Absolutely. You? Absolutely. We need more people to participate in our democracy. Doesn't we have policy more reflects uh, everyone when that happens? I mean, uh, right. I thought this was all taken for granted. Perhaps not. So, listeners, please uh, reach out to your, your uh, state legislators. Tell them they need to be supporting this. They need to know that you're watching and putting pressure on them. And remind them, they don't, especially if you have a Republican legislator, they should not take their marching orders from Boss Voss here. They should be allowed to think for themselves. And by the way, if they just keep doing it now, it's only going to get worse throughout this cycle. Right. So, uh, But we got to take a break. Uh, we really want to thank you, Representative Crowley, for leading on this important issue and for coming on the podcast today to chat with us. Thank you for having me. And you're welcome anytime. Yeah, and by the way, we'll... If, if you have a, a favorite uh, presidential candidate who's not Elizabeth Warren, since we were already <laughs> talking about her today, we'll have Senator Larson on later. Uh, we'd love to have you back. Uh, we'll talk after and see if we can make that happen. That, that means your second appearance won't be as long as it took for your first. So thank you so much, uh, Representative Crowley. With that, we'll take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back the battleground wisconsin again we're citizen action we are going to talk a little bit about elizabeth warren and this is going to be part of our new series here where each week we're going to take one of the many democratic presidential candidates and discuss a little bit about what their what their what their interests are what their policies are we'll horse race it a little bit um, and also invite a listener who supports that candidate to come in and tell us why. And so we're going to have Senator Larson on in a little bit, but let's get started by Rebecca. Why don't you tell us a little bit, just your top lines, your thoughts on Elizabeth Warren and, 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 and as it relates to this, uh, this uh, presidential race? 
Well, I just want to start by commending Battleground Wisconsin for bucking the media trend of ignoring the women who are running in this race and starting with one of the women who are running. No, really, I, I had no role in picking uh, Senator Warren first, but I'm very pleased. And uh, yeah, this is um, one of the candidates. This is, I mean, at, at right now she's the candidate I'm most excited about. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot um to talk about with Senator Sanders, and I'm really excited for the show where we dive into that. I think Kamala Harris is super interesting, um, but I'm excited by Elizabeth Warren. I think part of the reason I'm excited by her is because of how she's running her campaign. It seems like every two weeks there's a new policy proposal, one that gets me really excited, that's like detailed and yet clear, um, all in keeping with the way she has been her entire career. And so, you know, we could probably do an entire show on her biography, so I won't do that. But, you know, one of the things that I think is like important context for understanding her as a candidate is understanding how she has like come into politics in the first place. You know, she is someone who's, uh, or whose family went bankrupt, went on to like, I'm really condensing this super quick, but basically what I want to say is she's someone who like has spent her career fighting like the like hundreds and hundreds of papers of like financial gobbledygook language and rules to simplify them, make them fair and fight on behalf of people like us. And I think that, when we look at how she's running her race, that is what she's doing. She's taking these like incredibly thorny problems um, that are hard to understand. They can kind of make like our head spin and she's distilling it and she's making them clear. She's defining this is the problem. This is why. And here's the solution. And they're like very detailed, important solutions that she's able to distill to make clear. I just like I think it's really exciting to see someone run like that, particularly when they share my values, which I think. Uh, Senator Warren does. And I am also really excited uh, that we're talking about her because right now we're seeing her have a bump in the polls. Um, So just like in the last 24 hours, really, um, she's had a bump. The latest Quinnipiac poll has her at 13 percent, which is pretty close to where Bernie is at 16 percent. Biden, obviously, a huge lead over everyone. Um, But this is something that, like, I'm excited to see because she is truly a progressive along with Senator Sanders, who's running as a socialist. And to have like two of the top tier candidates be running on the issues that we talk about on this show every day is really thrilling. And I think that that is only going to get even more thrilling and they're only going to gain even more momentum once we get into the, to the debates, which listeners will know the first round of debates is at the end of June. So super excited. I could talk forever about her, um, but maybe I'll just stop. So someone else could say something, but I'm here. Well, well me and coach, if you want to talk some more, <laughs> but you've obviously identified Elizabeth Warren as a policy for everything. And that is definitely her, you know, her bailiwick and it definitely fits into her personality. Um, and you pointed out she's surging in the polls. It is worth stating that voters, while they're not, this is not always accurate, they do say that they care very much about policy details in this presidential election, and she is definitely leaning into that. And we could go through the litany litany of policy proposals, but one that, you know, and I'll kick it to Robert, that is particularly of interest and I and she's leaning into is 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 the free college and, and and getting rid of student loan debt. And I think that that is helping propel her. The other thing is she's becoming and is working on being more adroit at 
just being culturally relevant. Like even just talking about the Game of Thrones this week and sitting down with AOC, I think all of that stuff is very, very smart and humanizes her. And if there's any weakness, it might be that she's, you know, too policy oriented, too much of a egghead. And I think she's doing a really good job, particularly lately, of starting to just kind of show herself as a real human being. I actually have more on that, but I want to kick it to Robert. Robert, your thoughts on, on Elizabeth? Rebecca and Matt, you're very right on the policy. Some people are describing her as a think tank. <laughs> and uh, literally, even if she doesn't win, they're saying that she is doing a great job putting a whole bunch of policy proposals out there. And I'd like to go work for that think tank. <laughs> and she also does revenue. There's actually kind of a problem, say, with Bernie's Medicare for All. It's unfunded. So is his bill. Okay, so it's not just the policies, um, it's also the revenue to do it, right? And so on college, just give you an example. In Wisconsin, the Democratic position was we should let them refinance student loans. I mean, literally. We had some candidates for governor that ran on free two years, just tuition, okay, which is made tech college or in some cases just tech college. In some cases, the candidates were running on the first two years of all college, but tuition only. Elizabeth is canceling student debt. Uh, Senator Warren is providing free college tuition and money for room board, everything else. Okay, so she's one-upped Bernie on this, who started this in 2016 by campaigning on free college, but she's like one-upped it. The one thing we could talk about other policies, but the one thing I would say that she has not done this on as much is health coverage. She's good on position drugs. She's very vague about that and much less specific than Bernie is or Beto is, actually. Believe it or not, I know people will be shocked by that. And I really do think she needs to step up her game on what her precise health care plan is. She says she wants a pathway for Medicare for all, but it, which suggests it's not immediate Medicare for all, but she ha which I think is fine, but you have to specify the pathway and be clear that, that what you're doing at the front end is, is real. Because we have some people I don't believe, like Cory Booker, who is saying similar things. So Chris Larson, Senator Larson, has joined us uh, to talk a little bit about why he supports Senator Warren. I, before he speaks, I do want to just quickly underscore Robert's point about her paying for it. And, and her ultra-millionaire tax is, is actually very clear. Uh, if you make uh, 50, or excuse me, if you make 50 million or more, we're gonna ta she's going to tax you at 2%. And if you make everything over, over that 50 million, over a billion dollars. Oh, my God, that's a lot of money. 3% tax on every dollar. This would bring in $2.75 trillion in revenue over 10 years. So that's how she pays for college, how she pays for free child care, things like that, um, which is great, right? She's being very clear and specific on that. Uh, it is worth pointing out that the richest 400 Americans currently own more wealth than all African-American households and a quarter of Latino households. Stunning number. And by the way, if you wanted to really address some of that inequality, giving everyone, getting rid of student loan debt and free college is one of the best things you can do, and it's actually showing up in the polls that way. But with that, let's get to Senator Chris Larson. We're Hi. really thrilled you could join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, he's, <laughs> he, uh, he obviously listened last week and uh, uh, called out, beat a couple other people. Did uh, really? Yeah, I yeah, I you, you got in ahead, uh, and um, <laughs> so we're really happy that you came in. And so, tell us uh, why Elizabeth Warren. And I did notice uh, you actually uh, 
were at an event with Elizabeth Warren this weekend. Tell us more. Uh, she was she was not there, but for Elizabeth Warren, oh, yes. Gotcha. Um, it'd be great if she were in town. <laughs> we we're, we're pushing for that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I stopped literally in my tracks when I was running to email you to be like, all right, yep, happy to talk about Elizabeth Warren. Uh, big fan, big supporter. Um, and we had uh, the event this weekend at Dave Weingrad's house. We had over 60 people show up, grassroots. And, and to be clear, the candidate wasn't there. Elizabeth wasn't gotcha. there. And there, not only that, there wasn't even a campaign staffer there. This was calling in with a, uh, not to disparage uh, their role at all, but this was somebody who was with the campaign. But like still an, that level of energy. To, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just to be on a speakerphone with them and to, to voice our support and to ask questions about what we can do to help. So that energy is palpable, standing room only it was it was fantastic and uh, I think that speaks to the to the energy um, behind the fact that we are it's not just enough to, to to try and go backwards and say let's go to something safe let's go to something that is familiar it's enough to say you know what once Trump is gone, we need to make sure that we have somebody who understands the details, the policy, and is going to get us as far as we can to make up not just for this last president, but decades of, of, of cowering to uh, the corporate interests. And I think Elizabeth Warren, she's got a deep plan for just about everything that ails uh, America, and that's what we need, right? We need somebody who's thinking about this stuff and isn't just going to be flinching to political whims pushed by Fox News and by uh, corporations. So that, that got to get, that's why I'm on board. That's why I'm pushing others to be on board as well. Well, we are going to take a quick break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. We are going to spend a whole other segment talking about Elizabeth Warren. If you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are talking about Elizabeth Warren. It is a part of our new segment where we're going to spend a little bit of time each week talking about Democratic presidential candidates. So, Rebecca, to you, you had a little more that we wanted to talk about, a little bit more on her background. Uh, You're up. Yeah, I, th- I think her background is super interesting, and um, I, you know we don't. I know we don't have a ton of time, uh, but I want to do some justice to it, particularly her early background. But first, I just want to start by saying, loyal listeners of Battleground Wisconsin will know that I'm a big fan of Charles Pierce, and Charles mm-hmm. Pierce has taken to calling um, Liz Warren Senator Professor Warren every <laughs> single time he mentions her, and you know he, it's like really important to credential her that way. I mean, she's like a brilliant and incredibly accomplished woman, so and. She she likes to call herself Liz, but she is both a senator and a professor. Um, and I'll talk more about that in a second. Um, but her early life is really interesting. So she grew up in Oklahoma. Her dad sold fencing and carpeting um, and was like essentially a maintenance man. And when Elizabeth was like in middle school, her dad had a heart attack and was out of work for a very long time. They lost the family station wagon. Um, they almost lost their home. Her mom went to work at Sears. Um, her mom prior to that was a stay at home mom. And so like that is like her personal experience with people struggling, being in and out of work, healthcare issues. Um, and she's like really foundational, I think, to how she sees the world and how she's running this campaign. Um, and so there's a lot more that I could say about her and her family. Um, for folks who don't know, all three of her older brothers were in the military. And so I think that gives her a perspective um, on on those issues and, and on foreign policy that I think we don't, that is like important to note. Um, 
But what's really interesting about her is she, you know, she always wanted to be a teacher, couldn't afford to go to college, won a debate scholarship, and ended up not going to college on that scholarship because she got married at the age of 19. And it wasn't until later that she went to college, um, even later that she went to law school with one child, and then while pregnant with another that she gave birth to, like, I think right after. Um, and so, like, all of these, like, incredible things that she's accomplished since she's done while, like, having these, not, I don't want to call them setbacks, but, like, these these things that, like, she has had to navigate around in a way that, like, Beto O'Rourke, for example, has not had to, right? Um, like, all of the ways in which, like, having children and a family has, like, impacted her timeline. Um, and it's just, like, really, like, to me, is, like, really moving and important to think about, Um but anyway, I don't want to breeze through like the most important parts of her bio, but I'm sure we'll talk about it more in this segment and we, we could always talk about it in the future. But this is more of what folks know. Um, you know, she was a professor of, of law on bankruptcy. That is her expertise. She's gone up against um, the credit card companies. She's gone up against the banks. Um, she was... Um, she served as the chair of the Congressional Oversight Panel to oversee some of the um, Wall Street bailout that happened. She was tapped by Harry Reid to do that. And then, of course, you know, President Barack Obama, um, you know, in creating the Consumer Financial Protection Board, mm -hmm. like that was Elizabeth's essentially her idea. Mm -hmm. And she went on to run that. Um, then got elected senator. Um, for folks who don't think that Elizabeth Warren is electable, you know, I want them to think about the race in which she won um, to, to be to represent Massachusetts. Massachusetts, people think, is like a solid blue state. But really, there's a lot of, you know, swing areas, rural areas. It's not dissimilar to um, Wisconsin in a lot of ways. And so anyway, you know, I want to give time to Senator Larson and um, and to, to, to both of you, Matt and um, Robert, but, you know, I just wanted to like kind of like ground us a little bit in like the story of Elizabeth, because I think you're right, Matt, like you said in the last segment, she spends a lot of time talking about policy. Mm -hmm. And I am also thrilled that she talked about Game of Thrones with AOC last week. She also talked about Steve Mnuchin. So there was like a balance there. Um, but unfortunately, what I feel is that she has been disadvantaged by the media coverage and where we've had these huge spreads on Beto O'Rourke and like, I'm just born to run and like who he is or like all of this story about, you know, Mayor Pete. I don't feel that Elizabeth Warren's story is getting the same oxygen. So I just wanted to kind of like lift that up as we talk about her in this section. So I'm going to kick it to Senator Larson, but just one little point that I want to pick up on Rebecca said when she said she got a debate scholarship and then couldn't use it, right? That's where her life path and mine diverge because I went bachelor's and master's on debate scholarships. And it reflects not just that, the increased challenges women face mm -hmm. in, uh, in, in being, the, being the people who, who actually uh, are, are child bearers and what that means professionally and everything else and that she experienced that and overcame it is obviously, and to Harvard, to the U.S. Senate, it shows she's an exceptional person, but it, it's a lot of exceptional people overcome things and then don't think about how they got there. She is, when she thinks about universal child care, that's coming from a place in her biography. It's not just some sort of abstract academic idea. But, but mm -hmm. Senator Larson, I really want to hear more from you on why yeah. you're supporting no, Senator I, Warren. I, I love that uh, everyone's grabbing the mic and is excited about Elizabeth Warren. That's a good, uh, it's a good problem to have. I am uh, more than happy to see the, uh, the air. Um, I think it's 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 fantastic, and as as Rebecca pointed out, her her biography. I think that there's going to be some time where, as it gets closer to election day, when 
there there is actual voting in the, the caucus in February in Iowa, and then on Super Tuesday in the first Tuesday of March, and then when we finally get to Wisconsin on April 7th of next year. Um, I think that there will be time to talk about her biography and, and to reintroduce her to voters. But for now, I think she's got so much policy that she's thought of and wants to put out there and just kind of show that this is something she's she has given a lot of thought to. Um, this isn't something she's taken lightly. And um, I think, you know, the, the, the tagline of, uh, you know, she's got a plan for that, I think is, is very true, right? There's, there's, even in her response to Fox News wanting to do a town hall, she gave a very reasoned response about why it's not okay to give uh, credence to a network that is steeped in xenophobia, racism, and division, and saying that they're just trying to l use her followers for ratings and use it as a guise for them to continue the work that they do. And I think that that kind of thought and even something as small of a decision as that kind of shows that she's been thinking about this. She is aware of the impacts of what her candidacy is and is aware of what it's going to be like as, uh, as president. I was going to ask you, Senator, yeah. you know, she's famous. We didn't mention breaking up the tech companies. Right. Everyone wrings their hands about the monopolies. She actually says, let's break them up. They're too powerful. They're way more powerful than the old steel trust and the railroad trust used to be. Right. And I think that there's, yeah, and there's a lot of folks who just kind of, you walk into into the world and you, you exist in the world and you think, well, this is how it is. This is how it's been. And I think given how she's she's experienced it in her life and given how she's not only experienced it but taught this and not just has those individual life experiment experiences but actually pushed to create the Consumer Protection Bureau to say that this isn't just enough for me that I figure out how to navigate it but to actually prop the door open for every other person who's struggling in America who do not have that chance or have not had those access to opportunities. Senator, do you think the fact that she did bankruptcy law that kind of got honed her view of corporate America and how it oppresses people, basically, with its immense power? Is that part of her biography? I mean, that's her, that is her. That is yeah. it, right? Of her explaining, there's that, that moment of her explaining it to, um, as she's an advocate, explaining it to Hillary Clinton as they were trying to move it through. I think that was a famous story that made the rounds four years ago. And uh, that's it, right, of showing how they, and how she puts it is, the, the people who are who have the power, who have the money, they have an interest in steeping it to their in their favor, right? And they might get two policies in their favor, or twenty policies, then it becomes two hundred or two thousand until the entire system is working just for those at the top. Which is why she introduced the two percent tax for the ultra rich, for the uh, the wealth tax, and how she funds it, which I think is important because otherwise there's a lot of oh well we could do the X Y and Z, but how are you actually going to get it done? Um, just a quick story because I think sometimes we get we get stuck in this the the cloud of the environment of, of what policy is. So telling a story about how this actually rubber meets the road. I have a friend who is lucky enough to have Elizabeth Warren as a, a professor. And from day one, he said she walked in the door ready to go and assumed everyone else was going to be ready to go. It's firing off questions about real estate, uh, about bankruptcy. And that was the field he, he ended up going into. And I think it, it tells us that the story is, is like she had to be ready and assumed everyone was with her. And I think that's the kind of president she would be. As a side, at the same time as he was attending this class in a, some other class on campus, Pete Buttigieg was a student there, right? Like <laughs> going through it. So I think it kind of goes like and tells those parallel tales. There's places in politics for everybody. There's places for a lot of these candidates. And I think they'll bring a lot to the debate. But I think for Elizabeth Warren, 
born and she is somebody who who knows this and is bringing those skills to she brought him as a professor she brought him into the US Senate after being recruited by others to run for that seat uh, she brought him in bringing the invention of the Consumer Protection Bureau and she'll do that as president right of being able to say here's what we need to do here's where we need to go and we're gonna push as, as much as we what can for working people that's such a striking contrast to Trump so imagine her as the nominee how is that play her what you just described yeah. about Senator Warren versus Trump. versus the guy who wakes up uh, the like five minutes before the debate, <laughs> yeah, and just says whatever's on his mind. Yeah, I think it's I think she'll run circles around him. Um, I think she'll do very well, and especially in that contrast. I mean, frankly, every one of the candidates is a contrast to Trump, but no greater than her of somebody who's had to work every step along the way and understands the advantages, even if they're small, that she's gotten along the way that have gotten her there, and how she wants to make sure that that door is open for others, that that stairwell is is available for other people to get up, whereas Trump is completely, you know, thinks he was born on third base, he or, a, or, or was, uh, thinks he hit a triple and was born on third base. He thinks he's a stable genius, remember? So, Chris, we want to thank you for coming in and speaking on behalf of Elizabeth Warren, and uh, also want to give a shout out to Randy O'Connell. Uh, he's one of our really good listeners. He also wanted to uh, speak about Elizabeth, and awesome. uh, appreciate that and some others. But better hit the we, buzzer quicker. Yes, right? yes, uh, he's a Jeopardy champion. Uh, with that, though, uh, it is worth pointing out uh, it, Elizabeth has gone from essentially around four percent in the polls to uh, we talked about it earlier, like thirteen, fourteen percent. So she is definitely on the move. Yep. Keep an eye out for her. We will continue to talk about presidential candidates going forward. <laughs> Next week, we will talk about Beto O'Rourke. So any of our listeners who are uh, supportive of Beto, please reach out to me, matt.brusky at citizenactionwi.org. We'd love to have you on. So we want to thank Senator Larson for coming in and talking about Elizabeth Warren. But we got to end this show. We will be back next week again. Beto O'Rourke. We are the Battleground Wisconsin. we got to wrap this one up. We want to thank Brian Wilder, Joe Producer, who makes it happen every week. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>